Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Why don't you be turning in your Bibles to our readings this morning? The first reading is taken from Zechariah chapter 9. So first of two readings, Zechariah chapter 9, starting to read at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son, Zion, against your son's Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. The second reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 21, starting to read at verse 1. Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt with her, by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joe, very much. Uh, Friends, it's my pleasure to welcome you as well, particularly if you're here uh, for the first time. It's good to have you with us on this Remembrance Sunday. Do keep your Bibles open. If you can, turn back to the Zechariah passage. If you were struggling to find it, uh, it's a sort of less well-known book in the Bible, isn't it? It's the second last one in the Old Testament, just a few pages actually before the Matthew reading. Um, But don't be embarrassed to use the index at the front if you need to ever find one of our readings here at church. Let me pray as we begin. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Please might it help us today to remember, but also to look forward in hope to that day when you will bring for us a lasting peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. World War I ended on the 11th of November 1918. At 5 a.m. in a railroad carriage in France, representatives of Germany and the Allies signed the armistice, and it came into effect at 11 a.m., the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, and the soldiers stopped fighting. Back in London, huge crowds gathered to celebrate the end of the war. There are pictures of people on top of double-decker buses in Trafalgar Square. And a newspaper report from the 12th of November describes it like this. London went wild with delight when the great news came through yesterday. Bells burst forth into joyful chimes. Bands paraded the streets followed by cheering crowds of soldiers and civilians, and London generally gave itself up to wholehearted rejoicing. There was a scene of wonderful loyalty at Buckingham Palace. Dense crowds were shouting, We want the King! The King, the Queen, Princess Mary and the Duke of Connaught appeared on the balcony, and His Majesty spoke a few words. Outside St. Paul's, a shouting concourse included kneeling figures at prayer. Processions of soldiers and munition girls, arm in arm, were everywhere. American soldiers in jubilation invaded Downing Street. Conversation in the Strand was impossible, owing to the din of cheers, whistles, hooters and fireworks. Big Ben struck victory chime at 3 p.m., and later the famous clock was lit up. All the great cities and towns throughout the country entered with joyous spirit into the peace celebrations, while villages, hamlets too, had their rejoicing and peals of bells. Business was suspended generally, shops and houses were decorated with flags, and the people everywhere were delirious with delight. We can imagine it, can't we? It was so good for the war to be over. It had been the first global war, so much death and suffering. The numbers are staggering. Five million soldiers died on the Allies' side, four million on the Central Powers' side, maybe another seven million civilians as a result of the war. So what a relief to be done. But still, there would have been that natural heaviness, wouldn't there? to the moment, a sadness for all the loss. And looking to the future, those terms of defeat actually sowed the seeds for another war to come. That railway carriage was deliberately used again by Hitler to receive the French surrender. That was World War I. Our most recent war, though, the war in Afghanistan, ended on the 30th of August, 2021. It's fresh in our memories, isn't it? It was global news, but not happy news. There were people on the streets, but people desperate to escape. It was finished, but the suffering hasn't come to an end. The news from Afghanistan is hard to hear. Executions, 
Revenge attacks, rights for women reversed. The country is on the brink of famine. We'll have different opinions on the merits of that war and of stopping when we did. But as we look back and we can count and estimate the deaths, apparently 7,000 from the, 70,000 from the Alliance, 50,000 from the Taliban, 50,000 more civilians. You can't help but think it seems such a waste of life. Wars end, but it's hard to be happy. Pain endures, suffering continues, and war springs up again and again. Today we remember those who served in war. The Bible is clear that there is a time for war, a place for fighting to counter evil. So we are grateful for those who have done that on our behalf. But even more, we wish we did not have to go to war again. We want to know if there is a way for war to end for good, for war to end and all to be happy, for war to end and all to stay happy, for, for war to end and then never to be war again, for our only engagement with war to be in remembrance, never again as a present reality. Wonderfully, the Bible promises such a thing. It's a big theme in the Bible, and we've chosen one of those passages today, and we'll see what hope there is for permanent peace. It's probably no surprise to hear me say that our hope is in Jesus. Our passage in Zechariah uh, Zechariah is, uh, is one of the last books of the Old Testament. It was addressed to Israel, which was a little nation caught up in the wars of the empires. Life was scary. What future was there for them? Well, God speaks to them and he promises peace. Specifically, he wants to show them so they can see how peace will come. And we'll see with them today two things which as we remember wars past and present might lead us to rejoice in the prospect of peace. So the first thing to see today is this. Let's see the king God sends. Let's see the king God sends. This is from verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Rejoice, shout, it's a message of celebration. Like the news that the First World War was over, there was an official announcement on the radio, then all the passing on of the message, running to neighbors, everyone spreading the news in the street and on, in the shops, and those spontaneous street parties. It was a time for rejoicing. We won't have any who remember 1918, but maybe some who remember 1945. I'd love to hear afterwards how you felt when you heard the news. Rejoice, shout, daughter Zion, daughter Jerusalem. They're addressed like a young girl, not fighting themselves, others doing that for them, but so caught up in the emotion, fear turning to joy. But look, it's not yet the announcement of peace. First, 
the announcement of a king. See, your king comes to you. Arrivals of kings and leaders need not always be an exciting thing. Throughout history, crowds have been forced to gather and celebrate the arrival of a king, but they could just be a tyrant or or they could be oppressing the people. They could be a pathetic leader just needing an ego boost. Think of the crowds forced to gather for Henry VIII. Even Hitler drew crowds. But is this that? Rejoice, shout to boost the ego of the king? No, we're told three things about him which make it very clear it's not that. He is righteous, victorious, and lowly. Righteous, that means he is pure in thought, good in all his actions, kind in all his words. No sin, no wickedness, no corruption. He will rule well. Today we find it hard to submit to our leaders, and one of the reasons is their flaws. We can't trust that they are good, but this king is different. Also, he's victorious. A good man who loses is no good at all, but he's won. No one is challenging him, so he has the opportunity to rule us well. And he's lowly. Another word would be humble. And this is so important that it is acted out. He rides in not on a great war horse, not in a chariot pulled by multiple horses, but on a donkey, a young donkey. And the scene would be striking, wouldn't it? The animal only really just about able to carry him. An animal more suited to a poor traveler, unable to afford anything better. A completely inappropriate choice for riding to war or riding to a coronation. But the king wants everyone to know that he is different from all who have gone before. He is lowly. He is humble. His rule will not be for his own exaltation. It will be for the good of those he serves. I think our queen almost embodies this. Five foot three, 95 years old, but having to be told by doctors that she needs to take a break. She's been pouring herself out for the sake of her people. And as a Christian, it's clear who she's modeling herself on. It's Jesus. You see, this was a promise back then to little Israel, but it has been fulfilled since by Jesus. Jesus intentionally acted this out. That was our second reading. We chose the passage in Matthew, but did you know this is one of a few rare stories which is included in all four Gospels? It must be important. Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem. It was his final time to come to the city. It was the moment to fulfill this. So he sent his disciples to find a young donkey and he rode it into Jerusalem. Crowds gathered at such a sight, uh, such an unexpected sight. His followers praising him, lining the way before him. And those watching asking, who is this? And the answer is set up for us in Zechariah. 
This is God's king. And he really was lowly. If you read the stories of Jesus, he was never seeking the seats of power, but sitting amongst the poor. And he was righteous, never doing anything to harm anyone. And he was victorious, though a week later he was crucified. Three days after that, he rose again, the risen king, the Lord of life. If we want to see God's king, it's Jesus. If we're discouraged by our current leaders, know that Jesus is much, much better. We're very cynical people, British people. Very cynical people. Mark Maynall was a minister here a number of years ago. Some of you will remember him. He's an author now, uh, and he's written on the breakdown of trust for leaders in this country, and he traces it back to World War I. The vast number of casualties was because stubborn and flawed leaders thought the lives of ordinary men were expendable. And they persisted with the same tactics, and millions died. Why ever trust them again? And since then, little has been done to rebuild trust. If anything, it's been made worse. More wars, more scandals, more abuses of power. So for good or for bad, we've become a cynical people. And that cynicism, it seeps into Christianity. For sure, many Christian leaders have proved not worthy of trust. But friends, may I say to you today, Jesus is not like that. He is worth our trust. We need not be cynical about him. He is for us. He is good. He is a servant king. It's exhausting and depressing not trusting people. But when we embrace Jesus and sit gladly under his rule, we'll be brought to joy and relief and peace. So as we remember today, wars gone by and all those who died, maybe disappointment with leaders is there, but I hope also that we might see Jesus the different king, the righteous, victorious, and lowly king, whose arrival is cause for rejoicing, who truly should be celebrated in the streets. See the king God sends. There's a second thing to see, though, a second thing to get excited about, not just who the king is, but what he will do. See the peace God promises. Verse 10 onwards. See the peace God promises. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So you see, all war equipment is to be disposed of. And that's unusual, isn't it? We normally keep some forces in place when war ends. On the 11th of November 1918, it was also announced that all recruitment 
was suspended. All outstanding call-up notices were cancelled. And what followed was a, a large, but certainly not complete, demobilisation. In 1918, the UK Armed Forces had four million people in it. But by 1921, it was just 400,000, but it never reached zero. There was always a possibility of more war. But God says there's no more possibility. Under this king, you can send your chariots to the tip. Your war horses can go work on farms. The battle bows can be broken. You might as well use them for firewood. They won't be needed again. There's no more chance of war. Normally, war, it sort of moves around. If it's not in one part of the world, it's somewhere else. It's like a whack-a-mole that you just keep trying to keep it down. Or, or really, it's like a cancer that just keeps on coming back again and again. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why all our human efforts at peace don't work? The League of Nations, it failed. The United Nations hasn't stopped war. Well, the Bible says that war between nations is a large-scale expression of the human experience of war between people. We as individuals, we fall into conflict again and again. It can't be stopped. We've got a problem in our hearts. And the Bible says this is because in our hearts, we're at conflict with God. But we see that under this king, there'll be no more war anywhere ever again. And so that must mean both nation to nation, but also person to person. And so this king must be able to change our hearts as well. Verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. As a boy, I loved the, uh, the great stories of prisoner of war escapes. My dad used to read them to me. I remember tremendous tales of, uh, of tunnels and costumes and forged documents and, and daring deeds, feats of endurance, all so heroic and inspirational. But the more I learnt about war, the more I realised that's not a fair picture. Being a prisoner is horrendous. And it varies in different places, but the Old Testament picture used here is of being in a waterless pit. And it's not just soldiers, but civilians get taken captive. So being a prisoner is a picture of the wider suffering for everyone during war. Those losing their homes, those starving, those fleeing. The suffering is never contained to those who volunteer to fight. Think of the Syrian war. I recently read The Beekeeper of Aleppo, an excellent novel about a family fleeing Syria. And it's describing their awful suffering on the road as refugees. And, and to be honest, it almost seems worse than what they left behind. We see those horrible pictures of refugees washed up on the shores, even children. 
Today we remember the soldiers who fought, but also all those who suffered and died as a result of war. We long for it to end. We need it to end. And that's what's promised. Prisoners return to their fortresses, now prisoners of hope. It's a picture of the end of all our suffering. And God says they will be restored with twice as much, paid back and more. But how can you be paid back for time in prison, for pain and beating and starvation? How can you be paid back for losing loved ones? How can you be paid back for all that suffering? Gifts and medals and ceremonies, they don't undo the hurt. Hurt lives with us forever. Well, in the time of Zechariah, the promise was that they would return from captivity back to their land and life there would be so good that all their hurts would be healed. It would be better than ever before. And so for us, the promise is of an experience of joy and happiness at a scale so unimaginable that our hurts really will fade away. A life better than anything we might experience now, even in peacetime. We're talking about heaven and the new creation. It won't just be nothing bad there, but it will be so good that our lives will be completely healed. Not just our physical wounds, but also our emotional and spiritual wounds. And our hearts which are ravaged by conflict, will be made new and pure by Jesus. When Jesus came for the first time, he healed people. He restored people. He prompted moments of joy that people had never experienced before. But these were just moments. These were just samples of what is to come. Tester pots of the paint with which he will redecorate the world and each one of us. Friends, I hope you can see that this is something worth hoping for, something worth rejoicing in. I know I speak to many Christians here today and we struggle for joy. Life now is hard and sad. We think of war, but we know all all the real suffering as well in our own lives. Please lift your eyes to your King. He is real too and He's with us and He's for us. And He will bring an end to it all on the day when He returns. And we will enter with him into his world, his kingdom of peace. I know I speak as well today to those who wouldn't call yourselves Christians. You've joined us today to honor and remember those who've given their lives in service. And we're glad to have you with us today. My question for you then is whether you're satisfied with our human forms of peace? Or would you like to be part of something better by receiving this King and His peace?
for yourself too. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, today we remember war, we remember those who have suffered, we remember those who have given their lives in service, we remember the many others as well who have suffered as a consequence of war, we think of those suffering right now. Please Lord, draw near and give comfort. And Lord, we thank you for sending your King Jesus, and we look forward to his coming again when he will bring permanent peace for us. Please, Lord, bring us to that day. Please, Lord, send your Son, the Lord Jesus, back to bring us peace. In his name we pray. Amen.